Back in 1987, there was an 18-month-old by the name of Jessica who was playing in her aunt's backyard and fell into an 18-inch diameter well. If you're over the age of 35, you know who I'm talking about. We know her as baby Jessica, right? And so there's a picture of how big that well actually was, 22 feet deep. And this 18-month-old fell into that and was there for 57 hours. Now, if you're not familiar with the story, if you're under the age of 35, then the good news is she was rescued after those 57 hours with just some minor injuries. And so when I was thinking about Easter and, and the fullness of hope that is represented in there, for whatever reason, her story came to mind. So I, I looked it up on the internet. She's 32 years old today. And I thought about what if I met Jessica and I asked her, um, baby Jessica, right? Because if you're over 35, that's, you can't say Jessica without baby Jessica. If you're under 35, you're like, that's weird. Why would you call an adult baby Jessica? But that's what she knows. <laughs> anyway, uh, I imagined a conversation with her. Jessica, tell me about your life. And if she responded with, you know what? When I was 18 months old, I fell into a, a well 22 feet deep. I was there for 57 hours and then I was rescued. And that's it. Is it, was that the fullness of her life? Was she, was she born in her full, the fullness of her purpose in life to be saved? And like, that's the end of her story? Let me give you another example. Maybe some of you have seen the movie Saving Private Ryan. It's about one soldier on a rescue mission to save Private Ryan. And he does that, but he loses his life in saving Private Ryan. And if you remember, the most powerful moment of the story, right before Tom Hanks' character who saves Matt Damon's character, right before he dies, he says to him, earn this. What does he mean by that? He means to now then go and live a life worthy of all of the effort it took to save you. Don't waste this. See, the fullness of your life, your purpose, your story is not the fact that you've just been saved. Yes, that's a big deal. You are technically alive, but I hope that you will agree with me today that there is a big difference between being saved from death to being saved to life. There's a whole lot more to life than just being alive. And so honestly, I think oftentimes we make Easter too small, which sounds ridiculous because we literally had to add a hundred seats to this room. There's people out in the lobby watching on the screen. We're all dressed up more than normal. It's big. It's exciting. We have, you know, the day planned, but I still think we make Easter too small. I think it's more than just gathering in a worship room with our Got Jesus t-shirts on, looking at each other and saying, you saved? You saved? Yeah, here we are. We're just happy and saved, living our lives, showing up, some of us, week after week, reminding ourselves that we're happy and saved, putting our time in until Jesus comes back and be like, all right, it's time. There's more to that. Yes, we celebrate the fact that we've been saved from death, but even more so, we celebrate that we have been saved to life, and so it's time that we get living. We see this when we consider the person of Jesus himself. And so this is one of these moments when I refer back to last week. A few of you were not here last week. That's okay. But we looked at Jesus and his time in the Garden of Gethsemane. When God, his father, came to him and said, this is my mission, this is my plan for you to go to the cross, to die on that cross, experience the absence of me, which because he did that, none of us will ever have to go through that emotional abandonment, but Jesus did, took on the, the sin, the weight of the world on his shoulders, experiencing the absence of his father who has always been near to him. And so he wrestled, and I love the humanity, the relatability of Jesus himself in that moment, because he asked his father, just like I'm sure we would, is there any other way? But then he immediately follows that up with, not my will, but yours be done. That's honest surrender. 
And so if, if you're a first-time guest, or you've never experienced church or the grace of Jesus Christ before, you need to know that that's what a relationship looks like. It's not getting all dressed up and showing up to church and looking around like, well, you got it together. You got it together. You saved. Yeah, we're all happy and saved and our families are great. No, we're broken. And we bring our brokenness in the most honest, blatant way. We, we bring it to God, but we surrender ourselves. God, I'm coming with questions. I'm coming with my brokenness, but I want you to know that I'm still coming to you. And so we see this in the person of Jesus when he wrestled and he decided to go to the cross. And so after, the day after his time in the garden, when he's, you know, in, you know, in front of everybody there, right, right before he's going to the cross, he's in a situation where the governor, Pilate, can kind of call the shots as to whether, you know, the, the community there at large is going to, you know, want Barabbas to go to the cross or Jesus. And so they say Jesus and Pilate's like, oh man, I'm kind of, feel, I'm in a responsible, you know, position here. But uh, he's saying he's the son of God. So in case that's true, you know, I want to kind of wash my hands of this, which is what scripture tells us. But the conversation that happens between Pilate and Jesus is profound. And it happens because of Jesus' decision to choose to die before he dies. He made that decision in the garden. That didn't happen on the cross. And so here's the conversation he has with Pilate. John chapter 19, verse 10. Pilate threatens Jesus with death. He says, do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? He's like, Okay, Jesus, here's the situation. Don't you understand? Like, because if you, you know, in the context, Jesus isn't really responding. And so Pilate's like, hey, are you tracking with me here? And so verse 11, here's what Jesus did say. He said to Pilate, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Hello, I'm not here for you, right? And so Pilate doesn't actually have the authority that he perceives when it comes to the Son of God. Pilate, don't miss this, is threatening a man who is basically already dead. Why? This is good news for us. See, Jesus already gave his life over freely the night before, so now he's ready for what awaits him. That honest surrender. He submitted to the will of his father, said, I'm I'm going your way. And so he's basically saying to Pilate, you can't take from me by force what I have already freely given over out of love. He's informing him that you don't realize what's actually happening. I think you all agree today that a life given is always better than a life taken. Now, it's, it's overwhelming oftentimes to think about how many different stories, journeys are gathered in one room. And many of you have gone through crisis. You've gone through valley. You've experienced the worst of brokenness, even by the people that are closest to you, your family, your closest friends, the ones who are supposed to love you unconditionally, gracefully, meet you where you are and love you as you are. And so you bring that brokenness in you. And that might be the very reason why you've kept God himself at arm's distance, right? Like, okay, I had a, a father who did not love me, even abandoned me. And so you say, God is a father. I'm not interested, right? That doesn't resonate with me because I only have emotional hurt there. So you're, you're here today bringing that. And I'm glad that you did because that's a big deal that you even show up to the possibility of a different picture for your life. Here's what you need to know. No one in your life gets to determine the significance of your life. There is no other human relationship in your life that gets to determine the actual significance of your life. Now, that's easier said than done because we have people speak hurtful things into our lives. And unfortunately, sometimes it comes from our very family. And we think that our lives are insignificant. We live insecure lives looking for approval in all the wrong ways. Some of you have been rejected, you've been written off by the people closest to you, and it hurts to say the least. But the value of your life 
is determined solely by your identity in Christ. It is. Whether or not you belong to him. And so when we consider the cross, we see that his death, that's what proves your value. It's important that Jesus wasn't dragged to the cross. (laughs) He chose death because it was the only doorway to life for you and for me. Now, there's no earthly example that can even begin to catch a glimpse of the weight of emotion that took place, the honest surrender of Jesus and the great love that he had for us. But I can't help to think about what what it was that primarily motivated him. So let me just, for a second, give you a very, very trite example that hopefully most of us, if not all of us, can relate to. My wife, Emily, and I, uh, we're uh, we're due to have a baby in June, like two months from now. It's coming fast, and so there's a lot to get ready so I'm told. I've been told that it, you don't know what you're doing, and that's okay. I'm holding on to that perceived truth. Uh, we remind each other, my wife and I remind each other of that often. You know what you're doing? Because I don't know what I'm doing. Do we need to have somebody over? That was a conversation last night. Uh, anyway, got a lot of detail there. So anyway, we're getting the nursery ready, because that's one of those things you prepare the way for. And so there's this, this nightmare place called Ikea. Maybe you've heard of it. I know not everybody's been there, right? And I'm not necessarily encouraging now, there's a, there's, you know, it's one of those places where if you decide to go Ikea, heads up, you're going to need a nap afterwards. You know, if you're like an efficient shopper, this is not the place for you. There's no pop in, pop out. Like, it's literally a maze. You're bobbing and weaving. You might be going in for one thing. Yeah, good luck. Because you don't just go in and get that thing. You've got to walk through all the different departments. And so here's the thing about Ikea. Like, if, you want to, if you're wanting to save money if you just buy one thing, then you're going to accomplish that. Like, you know what you want. For us, it was a dresser, and so scouted out online. We buy the dresser, and yeah, we're going to save money. Here's what you don't save. Many of you know what I'm going to say. Time, all right? Every single item you pull off the shelf, go ahead and lock in a day's worth of work for that, approximately. So we get a dresser. I think it had 400 drawers, or approximately something like that. Those of you that have gone the Ikea way, you know exactly, you've lived it, right? You got the sweat equity, you got the stories just like I do. And so last Saturday, all right, it's one of those days, apparently this is what I'm going to do all day long. And so four and a half hours to be exact to put together this dresser where nothing comes put together. Somebody looks at it and you're like, that's a nice dresser. And like, oh man, you, let me tell you all about that dresser. You're opening up drawers. You see those railings? Yeah, screwed all those. Every single thing put together by me. I feel accomplished. Nobody's impressed. But all that to say, I'm not a project guy. Some of you guys are great, right? Like that's how you like to spend your day. You know, you're good at it, right? You, you know, woodworking, putting together things and you're, you're project guys. And I wish I was like that, but I'm not. When I'm doing it, I only think about what I would rather be doing, which is about anything else. That's right. So, not, you know, not able to spend time with Emily, you know, not able to spend my time doing other things I might want to do. I have to remind her of that. Like, Emily, you chose this. This is the dresser you want. I'm sorry. I know it's Saturday, but we just can't spend time together today. This is, this is what you want. Yeah, it's passive aggressive. It's not, not, not marriage advice. I'm just telling you. <laughs> so here's the trite relatability factor. What, those four and a half hours, right? I'm like, I don't want to be doing this, right? My back is sore kind of thing. You know, it's easy to complain. But what is motivating me is ideally my love for my wife and my love for my future son. To say the least, like, it's worth it, right? And so there's a scripture that speaks into the emotional weight that this Ikea example pales in comparison when Jesus him, himself is described as the joy 
that is set before him, he endures the cross. That shouldn't make sense. If you know anything about death by crucifixion, there was, that there would be any kind of joy set before him. What was that? His love for his father. How close he was to fulfilling the mission, the plan of his father, his love for you. He thought of you. That's big love. And there was joy in that moment to the point that that's what motivated him. He could endure the cross. See, every, everyone wants life, right? If everybody, anybody's offered life, like, get, yes, I want to live. I want actual life. I don't want to just be alive. I want to live. And so, however, the reality is, and this is the gospel, right? This is what Jesus' call on our lives looks like. Not everyone wants to go through what is necessary to have actual life. And so the example we see in Jesus and what he communicates to us is the way to actual life is through the cross. See, we think from a worldly perspective, the cross is a dead end. Somebody died on that cross. But for, for Jesus, no, it's the exact opposite. That's a, that's a doorway to life. That's how you get life. But it goes beyond that, right? Now we get to the point, like, what does it look for us to actually live? We don't just show up on Easter say, happy and saved. All right, we're good. Let's go have lunch. Have a nice day. No, what does it look like to leave this place carrying Easter with us and living our lives for what matters most? Luke chapter 9, Jesus predicts his death. He says, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. He must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, here it is, don't miss this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. It's a high calling. For whoever, he says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will save it. He says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? So this is, in, in America, this is as easy as it gets to fail to see what matters most, right? The American dream. Get your pile of stuff, make it to the end of your life to be able to look back and be like, that was a good run. I had a good time. I achieved the fullness of happiness and missed the joy that God had in mind completely, the fullness of the purpose of life. And so when we consider Jesus taking up your cross and following me, that's a, that's a high calling. It's more than just coming to church and celebrating Resurrection Sunday. We have to, we're faced with the question of what's more valuable to me. Is it worldly personal achievement, the approval of men, or is it the love of Christ where my very identity, my secure identity lies? You see, one of those routes is very exhausting and empty. We all have those stories, don't we? We sought out the approval of men. Our focus was on our pile of stuff. We just came away wanting more. So it's exhausting. It's empty. But the other, we find the love of Christ, the approval of him alone, understanding that's all we need. That's where rest and true life lives. See, in America, again, your significance in life is determined by what you have and what you can do. Us guys are terrible at that. We want to be somebody. Stuff and status, possessions and power. But we, when we consider the person of Jesus, it takes, right, we can rest in him because he, he displays the opposite. True life is only found through giving it away. Significance through sacrifice. It's a high calling, but that's where significance lives. So the person of Jesus, when we look at his life, he goes to the cross empty-handed, emptied even of God's presence, something that we will never have to experience because he did it for us, takes on the sins of the world and puts on display the greatest act of love ever shown. And now here we are today. We get to be on the other side of life because of his work on the cross. 
we celebrate because the cross was not a dead end. It was a doorway to life. It's a resurrection Sunday. The cross was not the end. Here we go, Matthew 28. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb and where Jesus was buried. Behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. I love that visual detail. This glorious angel, he's just like chilling on the stone. He's, anyway, I thought that was an interesting detail. Moving right along, verse 3, his appearance was like lightning, right? He's an angel. He's glorious. His clothing, white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled, naturally, as we all would, and became like dead men, verse 5. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, okay, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Don't miss this next part. He's not there. He's not there, for he has risen as he said he would. And then he says, come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you. Now, if that's not a recipe for a significant life, I don't know what is. Let me think about that. (laughs) What does this look like in our everyday life? According to that scripture, realize he has risen. That's why we're here today. Hopefully it's more true than ever before. And then go tell everyone. (laughs) Go tell everyone that third part. Know that he goes before you. You're not walking alone. See, the resurrection, it's not an event. We show up to Easter. We have a service. A lot of people come. Like, wow, that's that's great. Thank you for the resurrection. The resurrection is not an event. It's not a service where we just celebrate that something happened. The resurrection is a person. Jesus in Scripture said, I am the resurrection and the life. When you belong to me, that's how you find true life. And when we choose Jesus, find hope in him, immediately our perspective on our old life is I no longer want that, I want to bury it. And so this is the crux for some people as you begin to consider, wow, am I ready to be done with my old life, to choose new life, knowing that the only life to be found is to be found in the person of Jesus himself? Let me be clear, the call call is to die before you die so that you can truly live today. To die, to die to self before you actually die so that we can actually live right now. Not to just be saved from death. We've been saved to life so that we can truly live by pointing others to life as well. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15 says, Those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Another translation puts it this way. One man died for everyone. That puts everyone in the same boat. He included everyone in his death so that everyone could also be included in his life. Here it is, a resurrection life, a far better life than people ever lived on their own. Because of this decision, I love the practicality of this. Don't miss this visual. Because of this decision to be connected to Jesus, to find life in him, to live a resurrected life, because of this decision, we don't evaluate people by what they have or how they look. We looked at the Messiah, Scripture says, we looked at the Messiah that way once and got it all wrong. As you know, we certainly don't look at him that way anymore. Now we look inside. And what we see is that, don't miss this, what we see is that anyone united with the Messiah, Savior, gets a fresh start, is created new. The old life is gone. Easter is the fullness, the representation of new life ultimate hope, the opportunity for a fresh start. 
So practically, like some of you, right? Like, I don't know when I'm going to be able to talk to some of you guys again, so I'm I'm not going to miss the opportunity. Some of you need to stop hanging out in the tomb, right? Some of you need to stop going back to dead things. You already know the stories. You don't need to show up to church to realize there's no life to be found there. So the reality, if, if we could carry that metaphor any further, recognize the practicality of what Jesus did. He left the tomb. There's no life to be found there. And so he, he left and he said, follow me. That's where life is found. We go with him. See, Jesus is in the business of making all things new. That's why he left. See, and when you do, when you decide to leave your old life, to no longer return to dead things, things that you already know don't bring you true life, Here's what your life will look like. It's not, it's not about us in the big picture when it comes to denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following him. Here's Jesus' vision for us. I love this. 2 Corinthians 5.18. This is all this is from God. Who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Maybe this is a new, new phrase for you, but this is, this is huge, right? Especially in our world right now. We don't have to look very far to see how broken it is. We are given, as Christ followers, the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. I love this. Not counting people's sins against them. That's grace. Live like that. The last part he says, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. What does he mean by that? It's to repair what is broken. To restore what needs to be restored. See, in the Old Testament of Scripture, there's a word for that, Hebrew word, called shalom. To bring wholeness into the world. So we don't just sit around happy and saved. We get busy living because there's a lot of things broken around us. And we carry with us the person of Jesus Christ, the only one that can speak hope and grace and new life into people. We get to be carriers of that. And so we look for opportunities to reconcile our relationships, beginning with who is closest to us, where God has placed us, our very families, right? It might be the hardest place. Certain relationships need to be restored there. Our jobs, amount of time spent there, creates the best opportunity simply because of the amount of time and conversation and encouragement we can spend with people. And our hobbies, right? There is no small circumstance. Every, every circumstance is an opportunity, every interaction, to speak love and hope and encouragement into somebody's life. Easter is about finding life so that we can help others find life. We have been saved from death, and we celebrate that. But we've also been saved to life so that we can help others find life. The purpose of being made into a new creation is so that we can help others become new creations too. There's great joy in that. Many of you have stories of how you've been able to give life. So let me get real practical as we close. It's, it's a whole lot easier to get dressed up on a Sunday unless you have like three kids with matching outfits, right? And this morning was very stressful for you. But practically speaking, it's a whole lot easier to choose to get dressed up for, for Sunday than it is to daily live a life of being a reconciler in the areas those relationships that need repair. That's not convenient at all. It's going to require an extra level of intentionality, living out the resurrection in purposeful ways. But as Christ's followers, we're meant to be those that restore what is broken because that's what God did for us. He was in the restoration business, bringing peace to the chaos, hope to the broken. And there's no effort too small. In your bulletin, hopefully everybody received a bulletin. Hopefully we haven't run out yet. That's another problem if we have. But uh, there's, a, there's a serve week insert. This is a high, high, high priority for us. Every single year for the last several years, we just blitz the community. And so you see a full listing of projects that are happening and uh, the opportunities that, that you have to step into that. 
And so if right around us, where God has placed us, we see things that are broken, he says, show up. Bring repair to what is broken. Restore what is meant to be whole. And so we step into people's lives and say, you know what? We want to help you with that. We want to bless you in this way. And bless them in tangible ways. What are we doing? We're living the resurrection. So take that with you. You can hop on the website, see what opportunities are available there. And even if you have no desire to come back to church, hopefully this compels you to begin living outside of yourself. We're living the resurrection. This past year, there are three families that are part of the First Church family that have really just inspired me to live bigger, to live better for Christ, despite circumstance, because I can't even begin to fathom what they've gone through. And so this, literally this week is the one-year anniversary for three of these families of tragic loss that they've experienced. One family just yesterday uh, had the anniversary, one-year anniversary of their daughter who was a junior in high school. She, she took her life. She committed suicide. Absolute nightmare. And this is a family who'd never gone to church before, and they're sitting in my office, and there are no words, and I'm trying to navigate this with them to, to just encourage them any way that I possibly can, just be there for them. And so on their daughter's birthday, her mom, um, who'd never gone to church regularly before, decided to get baptized. And this is the moment that is a wake-up call for me. Because you have somebody, I can only begin to imagine, who wants to check out of life, to isolate, to choose bitterness. But instead, they come to God, and they come with their questions. That's honest surrender, right? Like, God, we don't want this. And if you're there, what, what are you up to? What are you doing? I don't like my circumstance, but I'm still coming to you anyway. And since that time, they've leaned into life looking to help other families who are grieving. How they can get through this, saying, you know what, we've gone through it as well. There's another family just a few days from now, one-year anniversary of losing their daughter, six-year-old daughter, to leukemia. Absolute nightmare. I mean, those of you as parents, you can't even imagine going through that journey. It was a long journey for them. Uh, Her mom ended up getting baptized as well this past year. And instead, again, of taking the easy route, I would have to believe, of isolating, of, of being bitter, of saying, you know what, I'm keeping everybody at arm's distance. I'm not going to choose to give you know, my love, my life to anybody else because I don't want to experience that level of hurt. No, they go the opposite way. They're that much more proactive in looking to help cancer research and other families who are suffering. In the crisis that they're continuing to still live out and the, the gap of, of the loss of their daughter, they're choosing to love even bigger in spite of their circumstance. Or should I say, because of their circumstance. They're leveraging it. Another family, again, the third family this week, one-year anniversary of, of losing a husband and a dad in a tragic uh, car accident. And so um, the, the wife, uh, she decided uh, just shortly after that that she would uh, invest her time in WizKids, our mentoring program. She said, you know what? I've lost the love of my life. There's a gap. There's something missing. And again, I have to believe it'd be easier to check out, to go the route of bitterness, of isolation. But she says, you know what? I want to give life. I understand more than ever before the preciousness, the brevity of life. I want to invest in other people and bring life and encouragement to them. That's a wake-up call to me. It's been extremely inspiring. And so God calls us to be life givers to those around us. And we understand that everyone has a story, right? And we, we, some of you are going to go out to dinner after this, and you're going to encounter people who have to work on Easter Sunday. I'm sure they would rather be elsewhere, and hopefully they're getting paid extra, but many of them, I've already talked to them, they're not. And so we show up, and this is a potentially divine intersection with someone's life, where we can lift them up, encourage them, 
And if you're a regular tender, you've heard me say this before. If you go to a restaurant dressed up, people know you're church people. You better plan to be nice, be patient, be gracious, be generous, leave a tip. Come on now. It's a, it's a big, don't dress up for church. If you don't want a tip, don't dress up for church and go out to lunch afterwards, right? You can be cheap, but don't say you're from first church, all right? Or any other church, right? Like, you know, you know what I'm saying? But come on now, we're representing something outside of ourselves. And God puts us in situations where we can love people right where they are, lift them up, encourage them, surprise them in the best way possible. Like, there's that kind of grace and love and patience that exists. Yes, here's how my life has been changed, and I don't want my story to end with me. No, I'm speaking into your life because God has a plan, a purpose, a story for you to be redeemed. There is more to your life. And so we get to be the ones who step into those moments and hopefully wake people up to the best way possible. There's more. There's life for everyone. No one sits outside of the reach of Christ. And what a great privilege to even be able to have this kind of freedom, to experience this kind of relationship. But may it not stay with us. May we share it. May we be life givers in everywhere we live.